in Lewis Carroll's classic book, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, there's a story in there, or a little part of the, the, it's a conversation between Alice and the Cheshire Cat as Alice is trying to find her way through Wonderland. And so she asks the cat, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? And the cat responded with, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I would do this in a British accent, but it would not be good. Uh, I don't care much where, said Alice, to which the cat replied, then it doesn't matter which way you go, really. We're currently right in the middle of our uh, New Year's sermon series where we're talking about an offer that you can't refuse. Really, we're looking at a few different offers that you can't refuse, five. This is the third one, so we are right in the middle. Rick's spoken about two of these so far. Uh, The first week, he uh, spoke about how Jesus offers us a new life when we follow him. And then last week, he looked at, you know, in this new life that Jesus offers us enthusiasm. And this week, we're going to see how Jesus offers us purpose. Finding your purpose in life, that's a popular topic. In preparation for this message, I did some Google searching because I wanted to see how many, how many results I could get for just putting in something like finding your purpose. And it was pretty eye-opening to me. Uh, putting in finding your purpose, I got 4.3 billion search results for that. Now, that's a lot. So I thought, well, let's see what what else we could search. And so I put in how to be a Christian, because I thought, oh, that'd be a good one. 4.5 billion results. So we're better, but we're right up there with how to find your life's purpose. Um, and what were some of these results? Well, a lot of these were steps to finding your purpose. And there were a few YouTube videos that I saw. Uh, quite, I mean, there are a number of these, but there were some that I, I really liked the titles of that sounded, because they sounded really promising. Like, find your purpose. Let's see, what is it? How to know your life purpose in five minutes. Five minutes, that's all you need. All you need to find your life's purpose. Well, I mean, that's unless you go to the next video, which is find your life purpose, 11 minutes that will change your perspective on life. So apparently five minutes wasn't enough. You need 11. Um, then there's this one, which is uh, watch this to find your purpose in five simple steps. I don't know what it is about five, but it's a pretty good number, I guess. So easy. Five simple steps. Five to 11 minutes. Of course, as with any good topic... A lot of books written on this subject. And I picked out a couple of the titles I enjoyed. The first is The Happiness of Pursuit, Finding the Quest That Will Bring Purpose to Your Life. That just sounds cool, right? Like, I mean, maybe if you're a nerdy Lord of the Rings fan like me, like finding your quest to get your life's purpose. I don't know. Or you can pick up the Life Purpose Workbook, which is, again, a five-step guide to find your purpose and create the life you want. I don't think that's even made by the same person who did the YouTube video on five steps, but of course, Christian publishers, we like to get in on this kind of stuff too. Um, and so, you know, if there's ever a popular topic, we're in there. And this one, there is a very popular book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And like I told first service, I am not against the purpose-driven life. I actually like the purpose-driven life. I I think it's a good book. Um, But, you know, Christians, we get in there. Uh, 50 million copies as of 2020. That's how many of the purpose-driven life has been sold. 
And there's a series of these too, because there's the purpose-driven church, and the one that I personally uh, am affected by the most, the purpose-driven youth ministry. Very good stuff. Have you ever thought about your purpose, like why you're here on this earth? Maybe you know it, and, and it informs everything that you do in your life. Or maybe you're kind of like Alice, and you don't really know your purpose, you don't really know which way you're headed, so it doesn't really matter what path you take. In reading some of these articles about finding your purpose, I, I really do think that they can be useful, but I also think that they tend to focus solely, you know, on you and your happiness, you know, like finding what, what was that one, uh, create the life that you want. And I don't think that that's necessarily bad, but happiness and, and things like that, they're, they're fleeting, like they don't stand up under pressure or the test. Today, I want to take us to a story in Scripture where we see somebody, he's not finding his purpose. He's actually given his purpose by Jesus. And so how do you think, as we read through this, think about this. How would you respond to being given your purpose by Jesus himself? And so let's dig into Scripture. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to hang out. And as you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of background here. Let's look at where we are in the biblical story as Mark is presenting it here. In chapter 4, we see Jesus teaching to a large group of people near the Sea, the sea of Galilee. And uh, he's, he's teaching these people some of his parables that describe the kingdom of God. There's a good section of that. There's some other parables, like the parable of the sower, um, things, uh, other parables like that. And... Uh, as the evening approaches, he and his disciples, they, they decide to travel across the, the sea to the other side when what the NIV translates as a furious squall or a violent storm comes up. The disciples were afraid when this storm happened. Jesus, not as much because he's in the back of the boat just sleeping. And they wake him up because they're afraid and, and he commanded the wind and the waves to be still and amazingly they were. So we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 1. That just gives you what's leading into this passage. Chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So they crossed to the east side of the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Gerasenes. And you can see it here on the map. Um, this Sea of Galilee, it's in the northern part of Israel. And uh, the lar their large area where he went to is actually called the Decapolis. Uh, you can see where the arrow is pointing. It's a town called Gergesa. That's where they think that this happened, where most people think this happened. Um, and then you have the Decapolis area. So it kind of, the whole area goes down in that direction, kind of a bit, pretty big area there. Uh, this region of the Gerasenes was outside of Israel. You see it's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and, and that's not in Israel. And so this would be full of uh, Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And as we get into the story, we're going to see that they were herding pigs, and that would not have happened in Israel because uh, pigs were considered unclean animals. So it's pretty interesting that, that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah King, a rabbi teacher, is choosing to travel to this region and then interact with the people there. So let's continue with the story to see exactly what happened. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So as Jesus and his disciples, they're landing on the shore, it says that, that there was this man who had an impure spirit. And what that means is basically that this man is possessed by a demon, or as we are going to see in this case, multiple demons. There are a number of examples of Jesus removing demons um, from people throughout the New Testament. Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 7 all speak about Jesus driving out demons or impure spirits, evil spirits. These demons would absolutely wreck the lives of the people that they possessed, and this man is a good example of that. He was living in tombs, which they have discovered actually, actually several ter- tombs in this area, uh, cave tombs. And he also had incredible strength to be able to break his chains and make it impossible to subdue him. And it would appear that his mental state was also affected. It talked about him crying out in the night, either from the caves or in the hills. And he was also uh, harming himself by cutting himself with stones. And this guy would come, this is the guy that's coming to Jesus as he's getting out of the boat. And and if you were, you were, uh, Jesus, or actually, if you were his apostles, how do you think you would have felt if you see this guy running toward your teacher? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Let's see what happens in verse 6, though. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So again, this man runs before Jesus and he falls to his knees before him. He shouts at Jesus, asking him, what do you want from me? Don't torture me. Why did he say this to Jesus? Because Jesus commanded him, commanded the spirit to come out of this man. There's a couple things to point out here. First is that, you know, the spirit knew who Jesus was, even from a distance. It says he saw Jesus from a distance and he runs toward him. So there's something about Jesus, something that this guy, that these spirits knew, and not just that it was that he was someone special, but they knew who he was, that he was the son of the most high God. It reminds me of James chapter 2, verse 19, where James is writing that, You know, even the demons believe in God. They know. They they know maybe even better than what we know. He knew who Jesus was. That Jesus then asked his name, and his answer, legion, it gives us again some insight. In the Roman army, a legion of soldiers would be a pretty good number. It'd be about six thousand. I don't know that there were 6,000 demons in this man. The text doesn't really say, but what it does let us know is that there was more than one and uh, probably quite a few. He says, for we are many. One commentator writes, it was a veritable army of evil which controlled him. And it's no wonder that no one had the strength to subdue him. There's a lot that we really have no clue about in the demonic world, but there are some things that we do know for sure. Again, they knew who Jesus was, and then they were powerless, 
powerless to resist his command. They may have argued, they may have fought. In other passages, we see that they try and do as much damage to the person who they were possessing before they exited, but ultimately they had to follow Jesus's command. And he commanded them to come out of this man. And what happened next is pretty wild. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So again, you see these spirits, these demons, they, they're pleading with Jesus not to send them out of the area. Jesus had given them the command to come out of him, and that was going to be followed. They were going to come out of the man. And again, I, I don't know why they were afraid. Like, I don't know why they were pleading with Jesus in this way. I don't know if they were afraid of being destroyed. I don't know if they were just going to simply be led out of the area or forced out of the area. I don't know but they are pleading with Jesus. And what they do is they beg him to be allowed to go into this herd of pigs, which he does let them do that. They leave the man, they go into the pigs, and this herd basically takes a nosedive off the cliff and 2,000 pigs die. I, I, I can't explain that. Like, I don't really know why that happened. I don't understand that. One suggestion is that, that it's, a, it's a pretty good showing for people who might have been bystanders to see that what was happening was actually happening. I mean, it's kind of tough to fake that. I don't know. Jacob, you control pigs every once in a while. It'd be tough to control 2,000 pigs to their death. <laughs> I mean, it would have shown that there were um, also, because there were 2,000 pigs, uh, it would have shown that there were likely a lot of demons in this man. A lot of demons. And it reminded me of a passage where Jesus talks about impure spirits leaving a person only to roam around and, and then come back with seven more spirits worse than it. You can find that in Matthew 12. And there were witnesses to this. The guys who were tending the pigs. Can you imagine how they would have felt? Like, I heard a couple of comedy routines where people have talked about this, like Christian comedians where they've talked about this, and... And, you know, their, their thing is basically like they're going home to talk about what had happened. And they're like going home to their wives and trying to explain what had happened. And so they're sitting there like, honey, you will, you're just not going to believe what happened to work today. You know, like we were out there minding our own business, just tending the pigs. And, you know, the crazy guy, he came out. But then there was this guy on the boat and they had a conversation and then all of our pigs just ran into the sea. So we have no livelihood anymore. <laughs> that would have been tough. <laughs> well, let's see how, how they actually reacted. Uh, Mark 5.14, those sending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're afraid. 
the guys tending the pigs, they're going into town, they're telling everybody what had happened, and everybody comes out to see this guy, and find this guy who had been possessed by demons, um, who they had basically exiled out to here and, and tried to, but were unable to keep chained up or, or bound. And now he's just sitting there, dressed and coherent and sane. And all of this happened because Jesus arrives to their shore. And what was their response to him? They plead with him to leave. Leave their region, leave their area. And he does. But before he does that, he has one more conversation with this now healed, now free person. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. So this guy who's possessed by demons, who was possessed by demons, he, now he desires to go and follow the man who freed him from that. He begs Jesus to go with him, but Jesus does not let him. Why? Because he has a different purpose for him. And that's what he tells him in verse 19. Jesus says, go, to, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I mean, that's a pretty simple purpose, but it is vitally important Jesus says, tell your people what I've done for you, the mercy that I had on you. Tell them about me. And in verse 20, we're going to see the result of this man having this purpose. It says, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What a witness this guy had for Jesus. People probably knew about the man who was not in his right mind and lived in the caves, in the tombs by the seas. They probably knew about his, his nature, his otherworldly strength. And now they see him and, and his life is dramatically changed. It is basically a new life. And they ask him, probably, how can this be? Like, what happened? And his answer is, Jesus. Jesus saved me. And all the people are amazed. Jesus offered him purpose in his life where he had no purpose before. And he offers the same for you and for me. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, this man's story is not unlike our own. Granted, we probably haven't been afflicted with, uh, you know, legions of demons possessing us. But we were all dead at one point in our lives dead in our sins, dead without Jesus, and we probably didn't even realize it. And then along came Jesus. For some of us, it was a relationship we have been building since childhood. It's not something that we've not ever known, but for others, it might have been more like this demon-possessed man where Jesus unexpectedly appears, and, and then we are antagonistic to him, like we want to fight it, but, but then he gets us to where we needed to be. Jesus helped this man, and he still helps us today. Jesus offered him purpose to share the good news of what Jesus had done for him. And Jesus offers you purpose today. You were once dead like this man, and like him, you have been brought back to life for the same purpose and more. It's not the five easy steps to find your life's purpose. It's, it's being given your purpose by your Savior. 
And it's not complicated. Jesus told his followers to do a few things. First, like he told the formerly demon-possessed guy, you know, we are to tell people what Jesus has done for us. In what we call the Great Commission, Jesus told his disciples right before he set out to return to heaven in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples. We can't do that unless we tell people about Jesus. Like, if they don't know about Jesus, they're not going to be disciples of Jesus. The best way to tell people about Jesus is to share your story. What has Jesus done in your life? How has he changed you? What did your life look like before and then after? For some of us, there might be some dramatic changes. I love being able to tell my story because it is a dramatic change. And I think that there are people who have and who will relate to it. But there are people who aren't going to relate to my story, but they will relate to yours. And this is true even if you don't think that you have an amazing story. You may not think that, but you do. You do because God is the one who's working in you. God is the one who's writing your story. Atheist turned Christian, that's going to move some people. But if also a faithful relationship with God, a faithful walk, that's going to move people too. Your story is the absolute best witness that you have because it's your story. Not only are we to share our story and make disciples, but Jesus gave two other very important commands that offer us purpose. And they are found in Mark 12, 29 through 31, where he's asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the most important one, answer Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, with your whole being, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke 10, Jesus is questioned about who your neighbor is after, after he gives this response to someone. And in response to that, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan where a man is attacked by robbers on the road and then he is left for dead. And these people pass him and they're religious leaders, but one person stopped and it is a Samaritan. And Jesus says, that is your neighbor, the Samaritan, which... If you remember from Rick's sermon last week, you know, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they're not on good terms with each other. In fact, they really don't like each other. But that's who Jesus says it's your neighbor, whom you should love. Those whom you may not like. So it's really pretty simple. Love God, love everybody, tell your story. What might that look like for you? Well, these three purposes, love God, love everybody, share the good news. What's that look like? It, it, this is where I think it gets a little bit fun because it's going to look different from everybody. Like the baseline purpose is there, but how you go about it, that looks different for different people. Like 
Not everybody's going to be like Rick or me and be up here and preach the good news every week or to, to shepherd and lead in a church. Like, not everybody's going to do that. There are some who might become overseas missionaries, or there are some who might lead in the children's ministry, or, or so many different ways. That, but there are some who will live quiet, faithful lives that seem ordinary, but are rather extraordinary because they're able in their everyday lives to love the people that God has placed there and to tell them their story, to tell them of the one who rescued them and offered them hope and purpose. Purpose is something that I think we all innately desire. Like, you look at the search results, the video courses, the books, how many of these things there are. I think it shows that, that as human beings, we desire to have purpose, to have something. And it doesn't take being a Christian to know that. Like, there's plenty of people who don't follow Jesus that have that same thought, that, that there's a purpose to this. Like, they, they know that. And, and, and these purposes that we find, you know, the find your purpose in five minutes or five easy steps to finding your purpose, like, these purposes they reveal, they're not bad purposes. They're just not the best. But Jesus offers the best. Love God love others, tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. It's not complicated. As humans, we tend to overcomplicate things really easily. Like we want to overcomplicate it, but we got to fight that with this. It's not complicated, but it is, it's simple obedience. Obedience to God because we love him. And we want to show others his love because we want them to know that as well. That love that he demonstrated on a cross. Jesus offers you a purpose that is beyond all others. And I pray that each of us would align with that purpose. Just like that demon-possessed man who embraced the purpose that Jesus gave him. And hopefully the response is the same. That all the people he told were amazed. And so, I pray that we would all embrace that purpose, those threefold things. Loving God with everything that you are. Loving others, whether we like them or not. <laughs> and telling people about Jesus, going and making disciples, sharing our story. Because your story is powerful. So, so powerful because of the God who is behind it. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer. I pray that you would help each and every one of us here in this room who desires to follow you well, that we would take our lead from this man who, who was dead and now has new life because of your son, Jesus. We were all there as well, Lord. We were dead, and now we have new life in you. Because of your work on the cross, because you loved us when we were unlovable. Because you had a plan, even though we screwed it up. Lord, uh, we can only say thank you. 
we can say thank you and we can also say that we will follow. Help us to follow your lead, Lord. Help us to lean into you. You've given us your spirit and he will guide and direct us. Help us to lean into him. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you for that story. The greatest story ever told. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.